Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Amen. You guys good, Project Church? Yes, you guys look amazing. And uh, it's really exciting for me to, to be able to be here with Caleb and Chrissy. And God's doing amazing things here. And we've been following the history and the story of your church for years. So being able to spend some time with you today is really, uh, truly remarkable. Uh, what a privilege. Uh, my name is Jacob Jester, as Pastor Caleb's already mentioned. And my wife and I uh, lead an organization known as Africa Call, where we help mobilize the next generation of, of workers to plant churches across the continent of Africa. And so what we want to do this morning is honestly, I want to share some of our story. But more than that, I'm, I'm believing that God is going to cause some of you to begin to believe that there is something more for you, that there is something that's been maybe buried in your heart, maybe buried in the recesses of your mind that the Lord spoke to you one day that, that he's going to cause to come back to life and begin to flourish in you, to allow you to step out of your comfort zone in a way that challenges who you are. Because comfort zones do not challenge who we are. Comfort zones, in fact, keep us rooted in what we've been. But God has not called you or Project Church to stay focused on a place of comfort, but to cause you to step into something that maybe you don't know, which is not always comfortable. And I'm excited about what the Lord's going to say today. But before I do that, um, I wanted to introduce you to my family, which is uh, going to be on the screen. We're going to show a picture of my family. This is my wife, Kristen. She and I have been married for 18 years. And uh, yeah. awesome. And then my son, Jude, who's to my left, uh, he believes that he's the greatest athlete our family's ever seen. He might be right. He was born with a big head. And then uh, my, my son, Cruz, who's 11 years old in this picture, and uh, he's into video games, and uh, he was also born with a big head. And then in my arms is my daughter, Indy, who is six years old today. She was born with a normal-sized head. So honestly, we come from big-headed problems in our family. Maybe you understand this. Maybe it's a dilemma that you have as well. My mom says that my head is the same size today as it was the day that I was born. So we've learned to lean into these issues in our family. But, you know, God's faithful. He's faithful. I'm excited. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse number one. It'll also be on the screen with us. The book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37, verse number one. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I call this message because I said so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be at Project Church. God, I pray that you would speak life, encouragement, wisdom. I pray that your hand would be upon us today. God, I pray that we would step into something special, something maybe even remarkable that many of us in this room will feel and respond to today in this place. Thank you for what you've been doing in Sacramento through Project Now for, for nearly 10 years. God, thank you for the hand of God that's rested upon them. I pray you continue to bless and encourage our leadership. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. When I was two years old, my dad had a dream. 
It was a unique dream that in the middle of my, my father's dream, he got out of an airplane. This airplane had just landed on a peninsula that was surrounded on three sides by water. He got down to the bottom of the peninsula, put his foot down on the asphalt and, and saw the peninsula, began to recognize it. And then he, he looked out across a bay of water between the mainland and the peninsula, looked out over the bay of water and saw that there was a city on the other side that rose up where the mountains met the beach. In fact, there were mountains that came all the way down to the beach and there was a city that rose up along those mountains. And in my dad's dream, he could see the twinkling lights in the distance that marked the city. The very next morning, he woke up and he ran to find my mom. And he said to her, he said, I think God's calling us into missions and I think the Lord has shown me the place that we're going to go. But my mother, she laughed out loud. She said, you go, I'm a stay. And for seven years, my mom and my dad had to pray and process what God was doing in their heart because God was obviously doing very different things in their hearts at the same time. For seven years, my dad would get up every morning and he would pray that the Lord would speak to my mom about what he had seen and what he had known and what he believed they were supposed to be doing together. And every day for seven years, my mom would get up every morning and she would say, I don't know what you're saying to Steve, but it's crazy. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay right here. So my dad was praying one thing. My mom was praying another thing. And somewhere in the middle, their prayers about the plan of God begin to meet in a very unique and a powerful way that led them on the trajectory that was going to not only change their life, but was going to change my life forever. That was not only going to change my life, but was going to change the life of my children. You need to remember that what you begin to pray, that you begin to ask God to move upon, we've always said that God doesn't always answer my prayer, and sometimes that frustrates my children. But there will be moments in your life in which God answers your prayer. You need to be prepared for what you ask God for because he might actually begin to do what you've been asking him to do. And maybe you're not prepared for the answer to the prayer that God has been giving you. I promise you, when you begin to lean into what God wants to do and what God has been saying to you as a people, he'll begin to move, but be prepared for the hand of God to move you. Be prepared for his hand. I got three kids. I told you about the life of my kids. And, and I love my children. I love my two big-headed boys. I love my, my perfectly-headed sized daughter. She's the one that comes up to my, my legs and wraps her arms around my legs and says, I love you, Dad. She's the one that when I say no to her, she says, please. Please. I'm telling you, I've heard her say please at least 116 times in a row. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a strong dad. I'm trying to say, no, I will not continue to give you sugar. No, I will not continue to allow you to eat pizza every single day. And she says, please. And I say, what kind of sugar would you like, brown or white? I, I, get, I get into these moments. I love my daughter. I love my children. And I love it when my kids ask me for things. And there are times and moments of my life when I have to tell my children no, or they have to get a response from me that, that doesn't always compute with who they are. I don't always have the most thought out response to all of my kids' questions. And my kids, y'all, my kids ask a lot of questions, especially when it's in response to an order, a parental order that I'm giving my kids. I say to my son, I say, listen, I need you to take out the trash. And my son says, well, why? I need you to go and make your bed. Well, why? I don't have the most intimidating look. Like my, my intimidation look that's meant to drive fear into my children it really doesn't work very well. I just bug out my eyes and I don't bug my eyes very good. So my intimidation look doesn't really work on them. 
And so I have to, I have to say, I, I know that you want a really great answer, but I don't have the most time to think about all the responses. I don't have time to tell you that studies prove that people who make their bed every single morning are more successful and more likely to be successful than people that don't make their bed. I go into my basement from time to time and, and I go down to my basement when I want to feel sad because that's where my boys' rooms are. <laughs> and I go down into the basement and I walk into the basement and I say to my wife, have you been down here recently? And she said, I haven't been down there in six days. <laughs> I open up my son Cruz's room and I promise you there's moments in, when I walk into his room that I feel sad for him. I feel sad for my life. I, I feel sad for the chicken bone. I don't know where it came from over there in the corner. I feel sad for the empty, the empty buckets of ramen that he just seems to materialize out of nowhere and live on. I, I find sadness in those moments, but I want my kids to clean up their rooms and, and I don't always have the best answer to why I want them to do these things. So I've, I've started to rely upon a very generic response to my children and it's because I said so. That's all I got. Well, because I said so. I want you to take out the trash because I said so. It frustrated me so much when my parents said that to me because my mother was into saying because I said so to me. My mother was from the South and my mother really didn't have that thick of an accent until she either got angry or went to visit relatives in Arkansas. And then when she would come home, she was both angry and Southern all at the same time. And she would come back and she, because I said so, you're going to pick up your room. And it frustrated me because I didn't have the best answers to my children's questions. And so I've learned that because I said so was unique, because because I said so doesn't have an explanation connected to it. Because I said so is filled with ambiguity. And because I said so has to rely on trust and belief between parent and child. In other words, when moms and dads say, because I said so, we hope that there's clarity between the understanding of mother and father, of parent and child that brings back a connection in the moment. So let me take you to our scripture for just a moment because I want to tie all this together. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And what you and I are seeing in this moment is a very dark and a powerful moment. The scripture tells us that the prophet Ezekiel is taken to a valley, a place that he's never been to before. And I use my imagination and I see mountains covered in loose rock standing like piers around the valley. No more than two entrances to the room. And now on the base of the valley, there are riddled with bones that used to be living human beings on the bottom of this valley. And I wonder to myself, what brought them here? Why did they come to this place where they died? These warriors that had come to fight in the middle of the valley that are now long dead. And I've had this verse on my spirit for a long time. And, and as I reread the passages, I've come to believe that there are principles of missions and missiology that are buried within the layers. And I'd, I'd like to try and peel back those layers for a few moments this morning. And the first one I want to lean into for just a few minutes is this. Every purpose has power, but only if put into practice. Every purpose has power, but only if put into practice. And, and what do I mean? It means that you and I were made on purpose and for a purpose. There was no randomness to the, the things that God has called you to in your life. You may be random people freaking everybody out with your randomness, but random events and random moments do not equate to the order of life. In fact, the word order implies that you and I have a very specific place. A place where God has called us to do what we're going to do. A place where we live the way that God has shown us and a way that we live that purpose out. Here's the catch. My place in the order and your place in the order don't always have to line up. In other words, my place may not be your place, 
Your gifting may not be my gifting. Your joy may not be my joy. I don't have to laugh at all of your jokes, but here is the struggle that you and I face. Some of us in the room are still trying to figure out what our order is and why God has made us to be who we are. The struggle that you face is you wake up in the morning and wonder why you're here, why God has you where you are, and the struggle and the frustration of who you are being placed into where you are is that you're still trying to figure out what your orders are. You're still trying to figure out why God has made you and positioned you the way that God has made you and positioned you. It will be a struggle that we face in eternity as long as we don't figure out now who God has made us to be and why God has made us to be. My kids, my kids love to critique me. You ever been critiqued by a 10-year-old? It's an interesting thing. The child that you've raised is now trying to tell you what's good and what's weird about you. My son cruised to me one day. He said, Dad, you're eccentric. And I said, you know, I don't know what that means from you. I know what the word eccentric means, but I didn't know what it meant when a 10-year-old is telling you that you're eccentric. And then my son Jude piped in. He said, yeah, dude, you're eccentric. And I started to think about this. What about my life made me eccentric? Is it because I, I go into the car line at school to pick up my children with, with 80s music playing and the windows down? Maybe that makes me eccentric. Maybe it's because I like to sing most songs in an operatic voice in public and that frustrates my children. You should try it sometime. It makes it all better. I, I I wonder what makes me eccentric as a human being. And, and then a few weeks ago, my wife and I were shopping at a large box store and, and we were going up and down the aisles and we saw a man pushing a cart. And he was pushing the cart like this. And I saw this man and my, and my wife said, she said, do you see that guy? I said, yes, I do. She said, that's eccentric. That's you. <laughs> she said, that's something you would do. And at first I was offended. I said, you don't even. Yes, I would do that. <laughs> I would absolutely do that thing. And then it started to make sense that God has made me to be the person that I am. And one of the great freedoms of my life is learning to be okay with the person that God has made me to be. I also believe that God has created you and I on purpose and for a purpose. You and I are not trying to be defined by what people say and by what people want to make you to be. You are constantly striving to be defined by who God has made you to be. You are made in the image of God. And the scripture says that on the day that you were formed and the day that you were made, that he saw you you and said that you were good. From the moment that you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, he has been forming you to be the son and the daughter that he's been making you to be from the creation of the world. And some of you have been trying to figure out who that is. I think God's going to give freedom to some people in the room today so that you can begin to step into the person that God has made you to be without trying to figure out what the crowd and the world and culture has been defining you to be because they will define you in one way and God calls you son. God calls you daughter. The world will call you one thing, but God calls you into himself. Yeah. 
He calls you to be with him and to stand with him and to walk with him. That's why the order that God has placed upon our life is supposed to be preeminent in who we are. Your order is found in your orders. Where you fit is found in what frustrates you. You belong doing what God has designated you to do. Your job is to do the job that God has gave you to do. In other words, if it's to preach, then preach it, preacher. If it's to teach, then teach it, teacher, because I had to put them together. If it's to give yourself to the business, you have to give yourself to the business that God has called you to do. Do everything you do to the glory of God. And if you do the things that you've been called to do to the glory of God, he will bless you as you do your best for him. There's freedom in that for somebody in the room. You've been trying to do the best that you have to the glory of a coworker, to the glory of a boss, and you will be frustrated in that day in and day out. You give your best to Jesus, and he puts his hand on you and says, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for giving your best to me and not giving your best to everything else. My wife and I had to come to that decision in a very unique way. After five years of planting a church in the Phoenix area, we knew that God began to speak to us about something very, very unique. Something that began to challenge who we were. Five years into our church, we had seen the church grow and we had been excited about the possibility of looking for a new property and new people were coming every day and giving their lives to Jesus and marriages were being restored and we were overwhelmed at the power of what God was doing in our church. It had nothing to do with us because I don't do details. I don't do admin work. God was moving. In fact, I had, I had grown to love the desert. I'd grown to love the fact that I didn't own a lawnmower for eight years. I would go out and I would rake my rocks. And because I'm OCD, I would go out and check my lines. Yes, perfect. I love, the, I love the fact that I could go out into my backyard and I could pick a lemon tree. I put a lemon off a tree and make lemonade. I love the fact that I would go and sit on my back porch when it was 120 degrees because I, I don't mind it. I would go and sit at 120 degrees and I would look up and I would see that there was olives on the tree in my backyard. And I, I got all spiritual and I was like, Lord, you're going to make olive oil from olives one day here, Jesus. Thank you for pressing and pushing. And this is amazing. And I would get all spiritual in my own backyard. And, and then the Lord began to speak to me. And he asked me to leave my comfort. And at first I told the Lord, No. Because that's what we do, isn't it, oftentimes? When God tells us to get out of our comfort zone, we say, no. Or we say, I can't hear you. And so what we do when we say we can't hear you to the Lord is we get so involved in doing good things for God that we miss out on intimacy with him. We get so involved in doing very good things for the purpose of God. And we say, Lord, I, I'm doing this for you. I'm raising these children for you. And I'm called to this law firm for you. And, and I'm called to be a teacher for you, God. I'm, I'm called to work in government for you. And we get so involved in doing good things that we lose out on the intimacy of walking with him into seasons of the unknown. See, I believe with all of my heart that God has not called the church of Jesus Christ to walk in seasons of comfort all the time. There may be moments of blessing, but there are times when you and I as the church of Jesus Christ were called by him to do interesting supernatural things. And many times that means leaving behind your comfort to do it. Stepping into moments where you have to trust God and we have faith in God because we don't know what we're doing without him. And so I remember sitting on the floor of our living room and I pulled our kids close to our, to our side and my son Cruz was in my arms and he put his head on my chest as we begin to talk about the Lord's call in our life to missions. 
We told our kids statistics and facts. I'm a big statistics person and I begin to say to my sons, do you not know that there are 867 unreached people groups on the continent of Africa, places and peoples that have no church? Did you not know that there's 250 million people on the continent of Africa that have never heard the name Jesus before? I begin to whisper to my children facts and statistics that weren't connecting with them. I, I begin to tell my sons, did you not know that Africa is the fastest growing continent on the planet? It's expected by the UN that over the next 80 years, the continent of Africa will grow from 1.3 billion people to 4.2 billion people in just the next 80 years. And, and I was excited and overwhelmed in my heart. And I, I started to say to myself, the future of the world looks like Africa. I want God to use me where the future of the world is headed. And to my sons and to our daughter, statistics and facts and figures weren't amounting to anything to them because they were drawn to a moment of emotion. We were telling our kids while spewing statistics and facts that we were asking them to leave the only church that they'd ever known, the only friends that they'd ever really had connection with, the only school that they'd ever attended. And in those moments, we were asking our children to trust us and trust the God that had called us. Listen, as you and I begin to step into what we do not know, to fully rely upon a God that we have relationship with, he will tell us about what we're called to, but he will also cause us to finally begin to trust him as we step into those places. And the people in Sacramento, they're not necessarily interested in the fact that Sacramento has a homeless, homeless problem. They're not necessarily interested in the statistics of tax and figures. Do you you know what the people of Sac want to know about? They want to know about a church that cares about life and freedom. They want to know about people that are interested in who they are. They want to know about a people called Project Church that is willing to get into the middle of the weeds to bring a message of Jesus to a people who do not know him. That is what it means to follow Jesus and what we do not know and do not understand. But let's take you back for just a moment to the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones, having to try to figure out what God was saying to him, because God said, go. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley of bones. Two things I want you to notice. The first one, it says, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. This is a very supernatural moment. It's the marker of the spiritual nature of the moment that God took him to a place, that God brought him out, that God's power sent him. The prophet was literally taken to a place by God's anointing, not by his own ability. And I love the miracle of this moment, but it's, it's a lesson to remind you and I that when we are living our life on point and on purpose, that God will take me to places I could never go on my own that he will show me things I could not see with my own eyes, that he will put me in situations I could not create with my own strength. This is why for you and I, our home always has to be in the palm of his hands. My peace comes in where he positions me. My grace is always found in his goodness. If I, my peace is found in him, it's because I'm confident in where he has positioned me. The second thing I want you to take notice of, it says it was full of bones. There was a valley that was full of bones. And here is where you will be made. You will be made in the valley 
formed in the valley, vindicated in the valley. You will find God's victory for you in the valley. See, we as people of God, people who have relationship with Jesus, we always want to live our lives on the top of mountains. We love mountaintop experiences, but I've never grown more closer to Jesus standing on the top of a mountain. I've never had my faith tested standing on the top of a mountain, but I have had my faith tested walking in the valley of the shadow of death. I have had my faith tested walking in the bottom of a valley, but here's where some of you can begin to take confidence in Jesus. He said, you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to fear evil there because I'm with you. My rod and my staff, they come for you. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And notice what the scripture says. It says, your cup will overflow and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You may want to experience nothing but good, nothing but great, nothing but joy, but you will find that God grows you as you trust him walking through the bottom of valley floors. There's some of you in the room that you feel like right now you're struggling in the middle of a valley. You're hurting in the middle of a valley. You feel broken in the middle of a valley. There's a reason the scripture says his rod and his staff. It's God's position of strength for you because when you're weak, Scripture says you will be made strong. You find your healing in him. This is what happens when we find ourselves standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones. The first thing we want to do is we want to deny it. Standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones, we wish to deny. We see this can't be. It's impossible. I can't be in this place. I can't be on the verge of losing my job. I can't be here. And yet when we deny it, we ignore it. And when we deny sin, we inadvertently perpetuate it. It's our denial of sin that allows sin to define us. And we do more than deny sin here. We deny who God's made us to be. Don't deny when you're standing in the middle of valley of dry bones. The second thing that you'll do is you'll deflect. The definition for the word deflect means to turn aside. It's in our denial that we pretend the valley of dry bones doesn't exist, but it's in our deflection that we ignore the ramifications of the valley itself. Deflection is the denial of personal responsibility. Deflection is when we turn our ear to weeping. Deflection is when God says go and our response to him is no. What I love about Project Church when I walked in your lobby is it says life plus freedom. Life plus freedom. This is no denial of responsibility. This isn't deflection. This is the admission that God has given us as a church the responsibility and we will step into what God has called us to do as the church. I told you about my son. My son, Jude, who believes he's the greatest athlete the family's ever seen. He might, be, he might have something, honestly. He might be right. Jude played football in the eighth grade. He's getting ready to go into the ninth grade, and he played eighth grade football. He was good at it. He played middle linebacker, and he broke records in his little eighth grade class for most tackles, most sacks. One of the things he always wanted to do, though, all year long, he said, Dad, I just, I want to play offense one time. One time I want to play offense. One time, one time I want to have the ball passed to me. In the very last game, with literally 20 seconds left in the game, and our team was down, you got to love sports references and messages. It's immediately moments where some people go, I wasn't listening before, but now I am. 
And my son Jude was standing probably two feet from the end zone. And the quarterback passed him the ball. And you could literally see the ball. That was perfect, by the way. You could literally see the ball <laughs> begin to fly through the air. I mean, he knows. The ball began to fly through the air. And just at the moment when my son Jude should have caught the ball, he, he reached up into the air. I could watch it in slow motion. He reached into the air and he went, ball fell to the ground. It was almost like he was saying, not my job, not my responsibility. I play middle linebacker. I don't know why y'all put me in here on offense last 20 seconds of the game. I reject this. In fact, that's not what happened at all. The ball began to fly through the air. ball began to fly through the air and Jude reached out and he caught that ball and he took one step, stepped over into the end zone, scored the game-winning touchdown. My son Jude took that ball, smashed it on the ground. The crowd erupted in applause. That's all he wanted all year long. Maybe he wanted the applause, but he also wanted the responsibility. He also wanted the responsibility. Here's what we need to begin to understand about the power of serving with Jesus. There is responsibility to walking and serving with Jesus. The struggle with too many of us is that God has been waiting for you to be ready for him to pass you the responsibility to pass you the ball. And some of us in the room have deflected our personal responsibility in walking with Jesus as sons and daughters of God. We have waited for the moment, and when the moment was presented to us, we deflected it and said, but that's not my position. You need to begin to understand that you were meant to play all positions when it comes to your responsibility. As sons and daughters of God, it may not mean that you're talented to stand on a stage, but it means that you have an ability to walk up and down the streets of Sacramento and tell people about Jesus. It means that maybe in a cubicle, God would give you a moment. What would happen to a church that deflected the personal responsibility that God has given each and every one of us or what could happen in a city when a church like Project said no I want the responsibility I want the opportunity I want the ball to be passed to me so that you and I can begin to step into who God has made us to be the struggle for some of us in the room the loneliness the brokenness that you feel it's that you've not taken the responsibility when God's passed it to you you've deflected the responsibility this is what the scripture says about the prophet Ezekiel. It says Ezekiel was standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones and God whispered to him and said, can these bones live? Can these bones live? See, I love, I love what the prophet Ezekiel said. He said, only you know, only you know. A couple of years ago, some members of our team went to northern Ghana to dig a water well in the dry red sand of northern Ghana. Whenever we went, whenever we go to plant a, or dig a water well, we always leave the church. So it's always a part of what we do to begin to dig water wells and to serve compassion in cooperation with the local church because friends, local lasts longer. When we, when we go to dig a water well or, or start feeding people in a city, we want to make sure that it's also in partnership with the church that will stay there after we're long gone. 
What we say in Africa is that water is life, but we also say that water is death because the wrong water drink at the wrong time from the wrong source brings death. Young ladies will go down to the water to draw from, to cook their meals for the family. And crocodiles will be waiting for them. And so our team went to dig a well. And when the well was dug, people from all over the community, all over the region began to come and get water at the well. And a church was established. People begin to experience Jesus and they begin to know Jesus as the, the well was dug and the church was established and a local Ghanaian man named Timothy became the pastor. And pastor Timothy was zealous for Jesus. He was excited. He had come from a Muslim background himself and so he made it a part of what he did to see people who had come from Muslim backgrounds experience Jesus, Isa, as Savior. And the church became full. And one day, Pastor Timothy got a knock at his door and there was standing a man waiting for him. Pastor Timothy stood there and looked at the man, a recent convert from Islam, and the man said, I would like to be baptized. And Pastor Timothy was so overjoyed. He said, yes, we'll baptize you. We can't wait to celebrate with you and your family. In two weeks, we have a baptism service and we want you to come and be a part. As Pastor Timothy was finishing the conversation and closing the door, the man put his hand and said, no, I'd like to be baptized now. And so Pastor Timothy looked around and saw no baptism tank. But he saw that there was a spigot from the well. And so he walked over and he turned on the spigot and the water began to splash onto the ground, creating mud and that red sand. And Pastor Timothy looked at the man and said, lay down. So the man laid down in the mud. He said, turn over. And the man turned over. And Pastor Timothy said, I baptize you in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that man's family began to experience Jesus. Two weeks later, there was another knock at his door and there standing in front of him was this man and his wife. She said, I would like to be baptized right now. So Pastor Timothy walked over to the water and the water spilled onto the ground in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit region began to experience a move of God because of this water well and this church. And a couple weeks after this moment, there was another knock at Pastor Timothy's door. So many people were experiencing Jesus as the patriarch of the family. This Muslim convert was coming and telling his family about Jesus. There was another knock at the door and Pastor Timothy went and there standing in the doorway was this man again with his wife and his other wife. And she said, I would like to be baptized. I'm telling you, behind every problem, there is potential. Behind our sin, there is a savior. Behind our brokenness, there is healing. It simply is up to you and I to stand in the middle of a valley of dry bones. And when God says, can these bones live? Can your family live? What will you say in that moment? Just as Ezekiel said, he said, only you know. Only you know, God, but this is the moment in which you and I have to begin to take our part. God said to Ezekiel, he said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word 
word of the Lord. And Ezekiel began to tell bones about the goodness of God. He began to tell bones that there is a savior. He began to tell bones that there is a healer. What will you do when God says, prophesy, speak to these bones? It's your job, church, to take your responsibility and say to your family, to say to the world, to say to the continent of Africa, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And the Bible says that when Ezekiel spoke these bones, he spoke to these bones, these bones came together, a rattling sound, and they became an exceedingly great army. If we want to see Sacramento change by the power of God, it will take an army. But where does the army start from? It starts by Project Church, whispering into the wind and saying, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. If we want to see Africa experience a move of God, perhaps it's when you and I together join and say to these bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're in this room and you're saying, Jacob, but I, I'm okay. Things are going okay. Life is together. Or perhaps you're saying to me, Jacob, what you're saying is sparking my heart. Recently, I was standing in a church like yours and after the service was over, a a lady in her mid-80s came up to me and she handed me a note. I looked at the note and she said, I'm going to be praying for you because God called me to missions when I was 14 years old, but I never went. So I'm going to pray that God help you to do what I wasn't able to do. I don't want you to ever have to go up and pass someone a note about what God might have done if you would have stepped into your discomfort. To embrace the power of serving Jesus in places you may never have been before. I'm going to go long on this message, FYI. It's okay, I have permission. seven years of praying and processing my mom and dad heard God say something together so they went and they sat in front of a group of women men and women in Springfield Missouri to talk about the needs on the continent of Africa they were sitting at the table and my dad was frustrated because nothing was speaking to his heart and right at the moment when he was pushing back from the table a man named Don looked at him and said but what about Sierra Leone my dad said, tell me. He was frustrated, tired. And he said, well, when you, when you go to Sierra Leone, you have to land on a peninsula. The airport's not in the city. There are too many mountains. So it's on a peninsula. And he said, when you go to the bottom of the stairs, after they've let the, the stairs down, you walk to the bottom. And if you look out across the Bay of Water, you'll see that on the other side, there's a city that rises up on the mountains where the mountains meet the beach. In 1989, my mom and dad went as missionaries to Sierra Leone to the place that he'd seen in a dream seven years earlier. Perhaps somebody in this room could begin to live out the dream that God has put in you. Perhaps you'll come with me to Djibouti 
in East Africa to a place that's never had a church. Perhaps you'll come with me to the Congo, to places in Central Africa that have long abandoned ways that follow after Jesus. Perhaps you'll come with me to Guinea-Bissau, where we have never had a worker from our movement in the last 109 years. Perhaps you will become uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you will come to plant the church, a church within walking distance of every African. Perhaps you will be one of 400 people that we believe God is calling to serve him on the continent of Africa. But where does it start? Now. For some of you, it starts now. Would you bow your heads all over the room and don't look around for just a moment. Just, just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you in this moment. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you begin to move and that you begin to speak and that you begin to draw right here and right now in the name of Jesus because that's what you do. You draw and you speak. There's some of you in the room, and I'm going to be very, very specific. There's some of you in the room that you know God has placed something inside of you. Maybe it will make you uncomfortable because it means having to go next door. Maybe it will make you uncomfortable because it will mean sharing your faith with someone who shares the cubicle that connects to yours. Maybe it will make you uncomfortable because it means looking at your husband and saying, but God spoke to me when I was young. How can we begin to live out this call upon our life? But I believe that the Lord has been speaking to somebody in the room. Perhaps it's one person or seven. It doesn't matter to me right now. It matters that you are willing to embrace what God says for the sake of somebody who may not know him yet. If that's you, then it's amazing that you would step into what you believe God could do to experience him. So we're going to ask our prayer team very quickly to come right now in just a moment. Pastor Caleb's going to join us on the stage, but... I'm going to ask the prayer team to come because I'm going to ask you to be bold and uncomfortable and say, God has spoken to me and I'm going to respond to him. Would you stand with me to your feet all over the building? Would you stand with me to your feet right where you are? Everybody in the building, stand with me. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. Some are coming. Pastor Caleb and I were talking about this between service. Sometimes it takes one person who says, God spoke to me and I'm going to step into him. If you're in the room and you say, Jacob, the Lord has spoken something to me at one time, but I have not embraced that yet. I want to embrace what God has said, even if it means I have to trust him to get there. We're going to ask the band to begin to sing. And if that's you, as the band begins to sing and take us into a moment of worship, if that's you, would you be very uncomfortable and yet very determined to slip out of your seat and come find somebody to pray with so that we can begin to say together, we will say yes to Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.